Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read down through the first 12 verses. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. You can follow along with me. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and they quote Micah 5.2, says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you again for the opportunity for us to to be together collectively as a church to encourage each other and to lift each other up and to spur one another on. We thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. And I pray now as we come, as we study your word, that you will just fill this place with your spirit, that your spirit would convict us, and that we would see our need for Jesus. Father, I pray that we would exalt your son Jesus and that we would lift him up this morning. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, you guys ready? Jesus, without a doubt, without a doubt, is the most polarizing figure in human history. All right? No other person has had more effect on the world politically, economically, or socially than Jesus. No other person has been debated more than Jesus. Think about the story we just read from Matthew chapter 2. All right, Jesus hasn't even spoken a single word. Jesus hasn't spoken a word. He hasn't performed one miracle. He hasn't taught one doctrine. And at this point, he's probably still being hand-fed by his mother, Mary, and yet Jesus is causing an uproar. This little baby is beginning to set an entire city, a kingdom, the most powerful nation 
in the world at that time, Rome, at odds, thinking, what is happening? What's going on? His birth causes a stir in all of nature where stars are beginning to do crazy things. Those who are furthest away from Jesus, the wise men begin to feel that something amazing, something wonderful is happening. And Jesus, who is such a polarizing figure, is already creating a buzz, a stir, to the point where people are wanting to kill him, and he hasn't even said a single word. Not one word. And people are already wanting to kill him. Before he mounts the throne, wise men bring him presents, and his enemies begin to plot his death. And he's just a little child. Not a crown on his head, and people are still worshiping him. Has it said one thing to upset the crowds of religious leaders, and they are already plotting his death? And what you have here is not some fairy tale story that begins once upon a time in a far, 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 far away land, but rather this is the reality of the greatest mission that has ever taken place, and that is the rescue and the redemption of mankind by God. And now the stir has begun and has continued on for the last 2,000 years. And what I want us to do this morning is I want us to focus on two, two groups of people in this passage this morning. Two groups of people, the wise men and the Jewish religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes. And I want us to examine the wise men first. And what I want you to see this morning in this text is even though they were the furthest away from Jesus, even though they were the furthest away, they are actually very, very close. The far are close. Now, before we get into that, the Bible, I want to talk about what the Bible says about these wise men. The Bible says that the wise men came from the east, okay? But what I want you to notice is what the Bible doesn't say. All right, Dan, you're smiling. You know where I'm going with this? You, you, got, this, you got this grin on your face like, you know, what, what's up my sleeve here? I, I hate to ruin it for everybody here, okay? Uh, but I'm, I'm going to probably, uh, some of you may already know this, but oftentimes when we see our, our traditional nativity scenes, you drive by people's yards and you see uh, the baby Jesus there with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and Frosty the Snowman and Santa and all those people. You know, you, you see those in people's front yards, or you may have them in your house, and we depict them as the wise men at the manger scene with the shepherds. But that's not the case. That's not how it works out. If you notice in our text, uh, Matthew references Jesus not as a baby, but as a child. It also references Mary and Joseph at their house. So they've already left the manger scene, and they are at a house, and baby Jesus is not a baby anymore, but he's a small child, which he's probably somewhere between nine months and two years, really, is what it is. We, we also notice that you always see three, three wise men, right? Why do, we, why do we always assume there's three wise men? Three gifts, right? Frankincense, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the Bible never says that they are three. As a matter of fact, uh, tradition says that there probably would have been at least 12, maybe, even. But we don't know for sure, so it's just speculation. But we, we don't know. We also assume that there, are three, that there are three kings. Why do we assume there's three kings? We three kings of Orient are... That was my audition, Charlie. Did I pass? 
Can I sing next week? Can I, Sarah, Sarah, can I sing next week with you? All right, sweet. I made it in. I made it in. That was my audition. Listen, these guys would have been, they would have been the cream of the crop. Now, these guys are not JV. Right? These guys are varsity level kind of people. They would have been your thinkers. They would have been your Harvards and Princetons of the day. The wise men, their job was to study the stars. They were astrologers. They were scientists. They studied the signs. They interpreted dreams. Now, many scholars believe that these wise men traveled from Babylon or Persia, which is modern-day Iran or Iraq. And if that's the case... The distance between Babylon and Jerusalem is over a thousand miles. A thousand miles. They were furthest away from Jesus. But the question that I have to ask you this morning is, is how did the birth of Jesus, how did the birth of Messiah even get on their radar a thousand miles away? Now we know about the star, the star that rose in the east. And these guys study the signs, they study the stars. But I mean, think about this for a second. These guys are, are pagans. Their occupation is condemned in the Old Testament. They, they are non-Jews. They are Gentiles. So how would they have known? Well, if you're not familiar with your Old Testament, there was a period of time when Israel, the Jews, God's chosen people, were carried off into Babylonian captivity because of their rebellion and their disobedience to God. During that captivity, there was a young Jewish boy named Daniel. How many of you guys are familiar with Daniel in the Old Testament? If you're not familiar with Daniel, uh, one of his most famous stories is Daniel in the lion's den, right? And so you have Daniel along with the other Jews, Israelites, who are in captivity in Babylon. And if you look at chapter 2 of Daniel, you'll notice that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has a dream. And who does he call to interpret his dream? He calls the wise men that are dream interpreters and says, hey, can you, can you interpret this dream for me? And they can't do it. Well, we know this guy named Daniel. He might be able to do it. This little Hebrew boy. And so Daniel comes in, interprets the, the, the king's dream, and Daniel actually rises to prominence. He is actually put over in charge of these wise men men. He becomes a leader of them. And it's possible that these wise men learned about the coming Messiah through Daniel and his prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, and he prophesies that a great ruler, a Messiah, would arise in Israel. But I want to take you a little further back than that. If, if we keep going back in the Old Testament even further to a book that I know you guys love, the book of Numbers, right? You guys love that book, Okay. In Numbers, there is a guy by the name of Balaam. Now, how many of you guys are familiar with Balaam? If you don't know who Balaam is, you may be familiar with his talking donkey. He started Shrek, right? Yeah, so, so his talking donkey. So, so Balaam was actually an ancestor. He was of the same people as the wise men, okay? So, so Balaam has this prophecy in Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17, and God gives him this prophecy, and this is what it says. He says, I see him, I see Jesus, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star 
will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And so most scholars believe that Daniel taught these Babylonian wise men these prophecies, and they were actually watching for that star. And when they saw it, they mounted up, and they came. So think about this. These wise men see the star. Maybe it was the glory of God, and they were willing to travel over a thousand miles to see the Messiah. A thousand miles. Yeah, you've got to understand, in that day, they weren't just hopping on a bus. Right? They weren't catching a train. They weren't hopping on a plane. These guys were going to walk, ride horses or camels to Bethlehem. This wasn't just a day's drive for these guys, but it would have been a three- to four-month hike. And listen, it wasn't just as simple as, you know, for these, these three guys, is what we assume, to just kind of throw, bag, throw clothes in a duffel bag and then just start kind of trekking. That, that's not the way it was. I mean, they would, have been, uh, they would have had a caravan of people going with them. And think about it, because of the value of their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, it's more than likely they had a lot of military support with them as well. So this wasn't just a group of guys, hey, let's just throw some clothes in a bag and let's go, let's go get it. I mean, they had a caravan of people, right? This was, this was a lot of people. Now, I know that if I am taking a short trip, if, if, if I'm just going up to my brother's house, you know, two hours north of D.C., or if I'm going to my mom's house, you know, three hours uh, west, I, if I'm going by myself, I, I can literally throw a change of clothes in a duffel bag, hop in my car, and be out the house in less than five minutes. Like, I don't need a lot of preparation for that. But if I am taking my wife and my two kids, there is a lot of preparation involved in that, and my wife will tell you that I do none of that, okay? Don't believe her. No, that's not true, right? It takes careful, careful planning. I mean, you're starting at least a day or two ahead of time just to start packing. I mean, you, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. When you pack up for a trip and you've got kids, you are packing up half your house. It's exhausting, right? And so that, that's kind of the image that you get with these wise men. It's not just throw some clothes in a bag and let's go. It's, it's, it's a process. It's planning. It's, it's hard. It's a huge ordeal. Think about the obstacles that these guys probably faced. I mean, they're traveling over mountainous, rocky terrain, passing through desert land. They, they could be facing any type of weather. Rain, snow, who knows what's cold, hot, who knows? But nothing is going to stop them from getting to Jesus. Think about this. They're going against everything that they knew. Think about where they're from. They're, 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 they're from Babylon. They grew up and lived in a polytheistic culture where they had multiple gods. And they served multiple gods. And yet they are willing to leave it all behind and travel over a thousand miles to worship the one true God. Nothing was going to get in their way. These wise men, the people who are farthest away from God, we're going to get to the place where Jesus was. I want you to put on your imagination caps for a second, because can you, can you picture the scene? 
when they arrive at the house of Mary and Joseph? Just, just picture that scene for a second. I can only imagine what it was like. I wonder what was going through Mary and Joseph's mind. I mean, here you have these wise men who were used to living in palaces probably, traveling over a thousand miles to this little obscure place called Bethlehem, to a little poor village, to a house that, who knows, probably was just one one bedroom house. Dirt floors. And here you have these, these wise men walking through this door. These, these wise men, the wisdom of the nations coming to bow down to the true wisdom of God. And I mean, these are wealthy, influential, powerful, intelligent thinkers leaving their home, traveling over a thousand miles to worship. These are grown men who kneel down and worship a little child. What you see here is God drawing these men to himself. God is wooing them to himself. These guys are spiritually sensitive to their need for Jesus. They recognize. They have humility. See, this is a huge issue, I think, for us today. Even even though these guys were very wealthy and influential and powerful men, they were spiritually sensitive. They humbled themselves. They came to Bethlehem and humbled themselves. They recognized their need for Jesus. And I think we live in a culture where we just don't see that. We don't see our need for Jesus. We think we're fine. We think we have everything figured out. We think that we don't need Jesus. And I think that's the issue. I think that's what keeps people from surrendering their life to him every single day is because people just don't think they need him. But they did. Just just a side note, I want you to think about this. The very first two groups of people that encounter Jesus, if you remember last week, we talked about a group of lowly nobodies, the shepherds, who were outcasts of their day. And then this week, we have a group of affluent, wealthy, powerful wise men. I mean, you couldn't, the two ends of the spectrum. You see, the gospel truly is for all people. Amen? You guys good? I want you to notice that before these wise men presented their gifts to Jesus, what did they do first? They worshiped him. Before they presented the first gift, they worshipped. And what I want you to know this morning is that God's not looking for gifts first. He's looking for our worship. He's not interested in anything that you have materially. He doesn't need your stuff to fulfill his purposes. He created our stuff. It's already his. He doesn't need your money or treasure, but what he wants is our worship. He doesn't need us to show up and say, here's what I can do for you, God. Because God created you. Psalm 139 says, I knit you in your mother's womb. I knew you. I made you. I created you. I gave you the gifts that you have. I gave you the talents that you have. So before we come to God and say, hey, God, this is what I can do for you, 
God wants you first. He wants your heart. Before we tell him what we have to offer, he wants us to tell him how worthy he is. Before we tell him that we have what we have to offer, he wants us to kneel down before the Savior of the universe and tell him that he is worthy of all praise and glory. And that's the point. We're like the little drummer boy that we sing about. We have no gift to bring. We have nothing to offer God except for our sin. And that's a, that's, a, that's a horrible trade for God if you think about it, right? He gives us his son, we give him our sin. That's all we have. That's all we have. Listen, God wasn't interested in these wise men's gifts. He wanted them. These guys did not buy their way into the kingdom of God. They didn't secure their salvation because of the gold and frankincense. It wasn't like God was saying, oh, you guys brought gold. You guys are in. You guys are in like Flynn. It wasn't like that, okay? Because here's the deal. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how much power you have, all we have to offer is the same thing that these wise men offered, and that is faith. Faith alone. Faith. These wise men come to Jesus by faith. By faith, these wise men risk their lives and walk across the ancient world. By faith, they stop in Jerusalem. By faith, they worship a two-year-old child. That's all we have. That's all we have. We have nothing to bring, nothing to give. It's by faith and faith alone. That's why the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, For it's by grace, it's not anything that you did, it's by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. See, it's about humility. It's about recognizing that we are sinners and that we have fallen short of God's holiness. Recognizing that we can't fix ourselves and that God has rescued us from our sins. He has rescued us. It's about putting our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross. It means putting our faith in his perfect life. And when we do this, we realize we have nothing to boast about except in his saving grace and mercy that has been freely granted to us by faith alone. That's the gospel. And when you recognize that, that is what will cause you to fall down and worship our king. Amen? You guys good? All right. And the ones who were so far away, the ones who were furthest away found Jesus. I don't know where you are this morning. You may be sitting here and you may feel so far away. You, you may be sitting here and you may be thinking to yourself, there is absolutely no way that God could ever forgive me. You may be in that place in your life, man, where you're just in a desert and you feel like, man, you're just, you feel so far away from God. This, this time of year can be so chaotic, can't it? I mean, this time of year is, is oftentimes the busiest time of year. It's so easy to get wrapped up and stressed out about all the things that we have to do, the things that we feel are so important. We have gifts to buy. 
We have to fix dinners and go to parties. We stress out about buying gifts. We worry if we're going to have enough money to buy gifts. And a season that should be filled with joy is oftentimes filled with depression and hopelessness and people that feel far away from God. See, it's so easy to get consumed with what Satan has put in front of us this time of year, thinking that this is what matters. This is what's important. And we get so consumed that we can easily miss the greatest gift that God has laid before us, Jesus Christ. And we feel empty. And we feel distant. And listen, this morning you may, be, you may feel like you are a thousand miles away. You may feel like you're a thousand miles away. You may be thinking, how could God love me? How could he forgive me? And I want to encourage you this morning and tell you that you can get there. I want to encourage you to press in to Jesus. To rest in the gospel. See, the message of Christmas, the story is that God made himself available to us through Jesus Christ. That God is pursuing you. That he is wanting to rescue you from your sin. So that the fruit of that might be a relationship with him. No matter how far you feel, God is closer than you think. He's closer than you think. Those who are furthest away get close. But it's the second group. The second group I want to talk about this is the most dangerous group. These group this group are, are, are the ones who are close, yet they're far away. They're close, yet far away. Probably one of the saddest commentaries of our day is that that's heartbreaking and actually a little bit scary is that you can actually know Jesus and still miss Jesus. You can know Jesus and still miss him. The Bible says that the wise men came from the east and they arrived and they asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, I don't know why it says all of Jerusalem with him was troubled. Because Herod, I give Herod a pass in this text because Herod is not really a Jew anyway. All right? So I'll give him a, and besides, Herod was a one wicked dude. He, he was one bad mamma jamma, okay? He, he was, he, so I don't know if people were like stressed out because, oh no, King Herod is stressed out, so what are we going to do? I don't know. But this is the part that is disturbing to me, okay? This is what it says. Herod looks at the chief priests and the scribes, and he asks them this question. He said, where is the Messiah to be born? And these are the chief priests and scribes. These these are the Jewish religious leaders. These guys knew the Hebrew scripture. They had studied it all their life. They knew it frontward and backward. I mean, they could quote Scripture in their sleep. They dreamed about Scripture. And without hesitation, without batting an eye, it's not like they said, hey, wait a minute here, let's look this up. Listen, there is no pause between the question and answer because these guys knew it. They responded by quoting from Micah the prophet, 5-2, and they say he's to be born in Bethlehem. And what's sad 
What's sad is they're not gathering their belongings and asking to go with the wise men. They're not making a beeline to Bethlehem. They're not searching the sky for the star. In fact, even upon giving the news, we're, we see nothing in Scripture to indicate that they, that they moved at all. This was an ongoing problem for many of the religious leaders in Jesus' day. There's a, there's a text, there's a passage of Scripture in John chapter 5, verse 39, and Jesus is talking to a group of these religious leaders. And this is what he says. Listen to what Jesus says to these guys. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the Scriptures, that bear witness about me, Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus is saying, you read the Scriptures, and the Scriptures are telling you about me, and I'm here in the flesh with you, but you don't believe it. You, you just keep reading the Scriptures. You keep looking for what's already here. It would be like me reading a book about dating Robin on a date with Robin. Reading the chapter about how Robin doesn't want me to read books on our date, but not putting the book down. Just going, uh, okay, yeah, don't read when you're on a date. Where's my highlighter? When you're on a date with Robin, don't read. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's like Robin's here in the flesh, and I'm reading this book about dating Robin. Does that make sense? Are you guys follow that? Okay. But that's what's going on here. These, these guys knew the prophet. They knew that they had prophesied that the birth of Jesus would be in Bethlehem. I think about this for a second. These wise men traveled a thousand miles to get to Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, where these religious leaders were, where Herod and the religious leaders were, to Bethlehem is a measly five miles. Five miles. So now, those that are far away get to Jesus and and those that are close are far away. They're the ones who, who knew the Bible. They knew the location. They knew it by heart. The religious people were so close to where the Redeemer was born, and yet they were so far away. They missed Jesus. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. They knew the facts about Jesus, but they never actually experienced Jesus. They missed it. So it's possible then to come to church every Sunday, to sit right here in these chairs, to sing songs about Jesus, to take communion every week, to serve in the church, to participate in service projects, all in the name of Jesus, and yet still miss Jesus, to never really experience Jesus. It's possible to give some stat lines about Jesus. Yeah, we know where Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem. We know that Jesus fed a lot of people with some fish and bread. And we may be even, may be even able to quote Scripture. But do we really know Jesus? And I, I am I, I'm so excited about this, this, I, this message this week. And I just, I just want to plead with you this morning. Please, 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 don't be so close to Jesus and never experience him. 
The wise men got it. That's why they traveled a thousand miles. They didn't travel that far to, to sightsee Bethlehem. It's not like they said, hey, let's go sightsee Bethlehem. They didn't come to visit Mary and Joseph. No, the wise men came to experience Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So how do we experience Jesus? Same way the wise men did. We humble ourselves before King Jesus. We admit that we are sinners and have fallen short of God's holiness. That we repent of our sin. And not, it's not a worldly type of repentance where we're like, oh, I'm sorry I did that. But it's a, a type of repentance that Paul talks about that changes our heart, that changes our direction. That we become so overwhelmed by the love of God that he would send his son Jesus to die on this earth for our sins. That we recognize how sinful we are. And we see God's great love for us. That the gospel takes root in our life. And that it affects everything that we do. It means we, we let go and stop trusting in ourselves or in our stuff or other people. And then we place our faith and identity in Jesus and what he has accomplished for us on the cross. That Jesus' right living, his perfect life is given to us. Then when we stand before God, God sees Jesus and not our sinfulness. That's amazing. It means, it means asking, Father, accept me, not because of what I have done or ever will do, but solely because of what Jesus has done in my place. That's what it means to experience Jesus. Amen? We're going we're gonna to pray, and then, and then we're going to do something that we do every single week. We're going to experience Jesus through communion. But, but I want you to listen to me, okay? At the end of the service, I'm going to be over here and I would love to talk to you if you have questions, if you need prayer, if you want to learn more about how to experience Jesus and what that means and what that looks like in your life. Listen, we want to have those conversations with you. We want to see you grow and flourish in your relationship with Jesus. We're not content. We're not satisfied with just coming to church on Sunday. We, we want to see you grow and flourish. That's our desire. We want to see the gospel take root in your life. We want to see you changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would love to talk to you about that at the end of the service. So here in just a second, the band's going to come out and they're going to play. And, and the guys are going to come forward and they're going to pass out a tray of bread first and then the juice. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us on the cross. And the juice represents his blood that was shed to cover over our sins. And I want you to take this time to just really worship Jesus, man, just to praise him and thank him 
for the sacrifice that he made for us. Just, just think about that. And this morning, man, if, you're, if you feel distant, if you feel far away from God, I want you to know, man, God is closer than you think. And then we're going to continue to worship. Because he's worthy. He's worthy. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this text. We thank you for the story of the wise men. I thank you that you inspired Matthew to write this and to put this in the story of your birth. Father, I just thank you for the time that we have now to come and to just remember what you did for us on the cross. I pray that we would use this time to just reflect upon that, just to worship you and to thank you and to experience, to experience you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.